In today's episode, I sit down with Olamade Olawe, the CEO and founder of Topicals, a skincare line designed to treat chronic skin conditions and normalize them into an act of self-care. Tune in to discover Olamade's story behind Topicals and what it's like to launch a brand on the rise. Hi everyone and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far and I decided to launch this podcast as the founders are keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, as I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Olamade Olawe. She is the founder and CEO of Topicals, a skincare line transforming how we view and treat chronic skin conditions. With its scientifically backed and clinically tested products, Topicals is also rooted in a personal skincare journey. Olamide's struggle with hyperpigmentation and skin inflammation often left dermatologists without any solutions, unsure of how to treat darker skin, and as a pre-med student, Olamide's found herself foregoing her original plan to go to medical school and instead launched a skincare brand that would cater to people with concerns like her own. But I love that she's going even beyond that. Inspired by the Fenty Beauty Effect, Olamide is rethinking the current golden standards of skincare and taking it to the next level in the industry. Topicals is truly leading the conversation in how ingredients, packaging and branding can be reconsidered to empower people of all skin types and conditions to feel that skincare is self-care. So Olamade, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing introduction. I really appreciate it. Well, I asked all my guests the same question and I'm very curious to hear what you say for yours, but who in a nutshell is Olamade? If I were to describe myself, I would describe myself as someone who is kind and generous, but also extremely stoic for better or for worse. Some things that I'm learning a lot about myself in this period is around like compartmentalization, which can be both a strength and a weakness. Um, A strength in the fact that when you are a founder and you have to make decisions quickly, sometimes without emotion, it's really great to be able to look objectively at a situation and use your gut, use your instinct to make a quick um, decision to come to an answer. I think my upbringing, um, I was a competitive track athlete. And so similarly, when you run track and, you know, it's starting to hurt and you don't want to do it anymore, you have to be able to compartmentalize so that you can, you know, win the race, you can finish the workout, you can do whatever it is that you need to do. I would say on the the con side of it, it makes it really difficult to get really deep with people, right? Because a lot of the emotions that come with that are just really foreign to you. And so I think in this time, I'm really trying to learn how to balance being both an empathetic leader, but also someone who has boundaries, someone who um, takes care of themselves. And I think it's really hard to do all of the things. But um, Mm -hmm. I think in trying to do all the things, also, again, just giving yourself grace with like knowing that you're a little bit better than you were yesterday and hopefully you'll be a bit better tomorrow. Uh, that was one of the best answers. I'm going to I'm already (laughs) going to tell I'm going to love this podcast. That was amazing. Okay, so. 
You spoke a little bit about, you know, growing up and I want to talk a bit about that because I read, you know, you came from a very medical and entrepreneurial background and, and household. Um, your dad was a doctor and owned clinics and your mom's managers of clinics. T- tell us about kind of those initial memories growing up and potentially like around your perception of beauty in those moments as well. Um, I grew up with a ton of chronic skin conditions and mm. I grew up with skin conditions that weren't like the typical ones that people talked about, right? Like most people, yeah. you know, in your teen years, you're talking about acne. Mm. Um, and for me, I was talking about things like hyperpigmentation or experiencing things like hyperpigmentation, ingrown hairs oils, things that were extremely hereditary. So it wasn't necessarily like, again, all my friends had these skin conditions. They were very much like family heirlooms, in a sense, passed down from my mother's side. And so I spent a lot of my childhood researching on the internet because I am a product of the internet, um, how to treat these different skin conditions, how to understand them, how to understand myself. So I loved YouTube. I watched like all the YouTube gurus talk about, you know, all the home remedies we used to all have because we didn't have, you know, skincare in in the way that we have it today. And so um, I also grew up, I'm first gen Nigerian um, daughter of immigrants. And so my parents wanted me to either be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And so because my dad was a doctor, I opted into thinking about medicine as a career. And so juggling being a competitive athlete um, and getting a full scholarship to UCLA, I decided that I was going to be pre-med. And when I first actually went into UCLA, I thought I was going to do neuroscience. I thought I wanted to be a brain surgeon. I think one, because I love doing hard things. And two, I actually really love the mind. I love mental health. I love psychology. It's really, really fascinating to deeply understand people Um, and the science behind that. And so I thought that, you know, that would be my career choice until I got introduced to beauty and then realized that dermatology would probably be a better uh, fit for my skill set. And so took my own personal experience, took my background and the environment I grew up in in a medical household and and thought that dermatology would be a really great way to um, live my life and to to, like use my gift. I can really relate as well. Like my my dad was an engineer. I went into the engineering world. um, And I, I think it's important sometimes to explore, you know, those especially if you can do it, like explore it. But I'm very curious to know sort of from med to um, to then, you know, creating a business. I know your first business that you created was Shea Girl, um, and which is, you know, part of Sundog Brands. That's now owned by Unilever. But uh, tell us a bit about how you co-founded and started that. And I don't know if you were, you graduated from UCLA after, then you created this brand, correct? Yeah. So I was very fortunate during undergrad to meet a young woman named Rochelle Dennis, um, we met randomly our freshman year, right, even before the school year started during summer school. She was a gymnast. I ran track. And so we kind of bonded over both being athletes. And um, just I think one day we were talking about maybe what our parents did. And she was like, yeah, my dad owns, um, well, my family owns this small beauty company in New York. Um, have you ever heard of it? And I was like, oh, what, what beauty brand? And she was like, Shea Moisture. And I was like, that is not a small, this is 20, not small 2015. So I was like, this is, that was not a small brand in the slightest. And so, but I think for her, because she had grown up so close to the brand, it was like, you know, oh, this is my family business. This isn't like what everyone from the outside. And I think I'm sure for you and for me, you know, when people think about your business, you're like, oh yeah, it's just like this business that I do with my, you know, people that I I really enjoy working with when in reality you're like changing people's lives. And so um, she, one day we had roomed together our sophomore year and one day she was talking about, you know, I've I've watched my dad build brands and I'd love to build one for young women of color, like just like us. And I was like, that's a cool idea. And she was like, do you want to join me? And it was so interesting because I was like, I have no experience in building any kind of brand. Like I, I love branding. I think it's really fun. There were a lot of really cool brands launching around the 2014, 2015 era. 
but I myself did not know anything. But she was like, let's just try. I don't know much either other than watching my dad and we'll be under the wing of Shea Moisture. So let's just like start a brand. And that's how Shea Girl came to be about. And I spent two years, so between 2015 and 2017, my sophomore and, uh, sophomore and senior year in college, interning at Shea Moisture. Every summer I would go out to New York. Um, during the winters, I would go out to New York. And we would just be working on the brand. And during school, like I would, you know, go to a track meet and then like be on my laptop working on maybe like a, a product profile sheet or getting ready for a meeting um, with a retailer. And so I learned so much during that time there. And I think the biggest thing that I learned was about community commerce, which is Shea Moisture's ethos of doing well by doing good. This idea that as a business got more successful, they could reinvest those profits into communities that needed it most. And so I took that as probably one of the, my most cherished lessons from working at Shea Moisture. And which is why now with topicals, we have that mental health component because I just think it's really important that if businesses are becoming, in a sense, like governments, right, where like we are the ones that are giving more to um, communities than sometimes what our government can do from do for us, which we've seen, you know, in healthcare, we've seen it across different um, social welfare programs. Like companies now are almost like outdoing the government in terms of like the give back. I think it's just really important for companies because of the profits that we are able to generate, we reinvest that back into communities that need it most. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and what I what I love is from, from Shea Girl now, I mean, and again, going to your point of when you were in it, you didn't realize it, but I can tell you as an outsider looking into topicals uh, and also as a consumer, I've read all of your products and I'm obsessed. Um, I genuinely am so amazed and astounding. I mean, from the Forbes article I read recently as well, last year in November, um, when I saw that, I, I had shivers. But we're going to get to everything. So start at the beginning. So when did that seed of Topical start and how did you begin this journey? So after the acquisition of Sundial Brands, which is the parent company of Shea Moisture and Shea Girl, I realized that I really loved building. Like I love, even now, I love zero to one. Like it's fun to scale, but for me, I get a real rise out of like ideation, creativity, like that inkling stage where you're really trying to figure out if something works and then using community, using branding, using great product to actually build something that breaks through. Like that's my absolute favorite part. And so I decided I was going to forego going to medical school. Um, I had also, you know, I'm one of those people who has like a backup backup plan. So I was also thinking about um, and actually had accepted an offer to go into management consulting. And the day before um, the offer of the day before the role was supposed to start, I called and was like, I have this huge opportunity to start a brand. And I like, I, I'm, I really appreciate the offer, but I, I definitely think I'm going to try this. And they were like, well, you know, go try that. And if it doesn't work out, like, feel free to come back. We'd love to still have you. And as the story goes, I didn't actually go back to um, the management consulting firm, but I appreciated how open and supportive they were of me. And so um, I was just like, it, it would be cool if, if a brand like Shea Moisture existed in the skincare space around inclusivity, around community commerce. I think it'd be really yeah. great if a brand um, that had the, the same type of storytelling as our favorite movies existed in the skincare world. Um, I thought I wanted to make a brand that the products were so efficacious um, and really, you know, took what was happening in science and actually made it accessible to folks. And so I also wanted a brand that was just as cool as like Supreme or um, Stussy, right? Like all of these hype, hype 
streetwear brands that have honestly changed fashion for the better, right? They've made, it's made it more inclusive. It's made it more gritty, more textured, more cultural. And so mm-hmm. I kind of threw that all in a pot and was like, what would it look like if that existed? And I think that we've done a pretty good job with Topicals at making that a reality. I'm excited for this year. We have way more things that we're doing that continue to push the envelope on that. But that was truly what I was thinking back in 2018. I had just graduated from undergrad in June and um, in about August, I was like, it looks like this could be a thing that exists and took me about two years of, of struggling to fundraise and, and putting this together. But I think, again, everything launches in its time. And in August of 2020 is when the brand launched. And, and the name Topicals, what was that process? So one thing about me is I love the thesaurus. <laughs> I um, I think it comes from my mom, actually. Like my mom used to, in, in Nigeria, when she didn't have books, she would read the dictionary or she'd read the thesaurus. She always told us that story of like, reading. And I used to like make fun of her and be like, why would you read the thesaurus? Like what is in there? What story is in there that you're reading? And it was less about storytelling and more about copy, Copy, like learning. Yeah. Around Mm -hmm. like how do words make people feel and what, like what, what comes to mind when someone hears a specific word. And I think because of my experience growing up, going to a bunch of different dermatologists, I knew the word topical. I knew like knew what that meant. I mean, I knew that scientifically that had a functional definition of being applied to skin. Right. And I thought, okay, like this is a brand where we're literally going to be applying products to skin. Like that makes sense. And then the second definition or the more more emotional definition of topicals is this idea of something that's top of mind. Right. It's something that you have to know about. It's immediate. It's temporal. It's something that is just in your face. And so I think that having both everything that topicals does is both functional and emotional. And I think understanding that, I think that word, because I had other ideas of other words that like, again, didn't, didn't really make any sense. They didn't really push the needle forward. And I think the book that I read that actually really helped me like solidify the name was actually Shoe Dog, uh, Mm -hmm. Nike, the book of the the story of Phil Knight, the the Nike founder. And um, it was just really interesting because it was not called Nike when he first started. It was called, um, I think it was like Runner's Club or something. Yeah. Um, And just like the way he even came to Nike was around, you know, the story uh, I think it's ancient, um, ancient Greek, uh, yes, Nike. Ancient Greek. there we go. Yes. It's all ancient Greek mythology. Goddess of victory or something. Yeah, I think. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so it was just really cool because, um, I thought about that and then I thought about the phrase, just do it. And there's so many meanings in just do it, right? Like when it hurts, just do it. When you're fearful, just do it. When you're anxious, when you're doubtful, like just, just do it. And so I took a lot from that. And again, brands like Supreme, Stussy, and like the meaning that words and copy had. And that's how the name Topicals. And it just makes so much sense. And don't you love it when like, you, when you look back after, like even with Fable and Main, I'm like, like, like the names, like they work, they make sense. And it's hard. Like names are hard. You think about yes. trademarks and this and that, and especially in beauty, right? And half the beauty brands are something beauty, like it's something, a word and beauty. I always love like when you can master just like something that can be a household name, but also has a story with it. It's not easy, but Topicals has that effect. And it's Thank just, you. Yeah. Thank you. Really That's one of my mo- my favorite exercises. I do it even now with like random ideas. I like save names. And I mean, if even if you look at our products, right? Like yeah, we, this faded is, and yeah. Yeah. This has been a consistent theme for us where storytelling starts at the name of the product. And I think for me, the reason why is when you have a skin condition, People with skin conditions are actually two to six times more likely to experience depression and anxiety because of misinformation, alienation, embarrassment, shame. And so for us, like even the names of the product don't start with, you know, eczema or hyperpigmentation. They start with things that are fun, 
because skincare for us is not about this destination of clear skin. It's about this journey. Um, and I think that fun is the number one question we asked ourselves, right? Like we felt like yeah. skincare at the time was either super clinical and cold or it was really preachy and activist. And we literally asked the question, what if skincare was fun instead? Uh, that's amazing. And, and, and why can't it be and shouldn't it be? But plus all the other things, I think that's what I love about topicals is it's vibrant, it's fun, it's trend, it's also efficacy it's it's so many different elements and, and i think speaking about efficacy i think you know the natural first step in creating a brand is really putting the, the product first and i would love to know a bit about sort of your first mpd journey and like your first product and then eventually can you explain the full range that the currently is available today yes yeah, so faded which is our best seller was actually the first product um we ever made and the way i actually came up with this product was um in my pre-med study, I learned about this concept of pathogenesis. So pathog- I'm going to get really nerdy for a little bit here. So pathogenesis quite literally means the path by which something occurs. And so in medicine, there's pathogenesis in any kind of uh, category or specialty, right? So why does a brain tumor occur? Why does um, inflammation occur? And for me, when I was going deeper into dermatology, I was understanding the pathogenesis of these different skin conditions. So what is happening in the skin scientifically when hyperpigmentation occurs? What is happening in the skin when eczema occurs? And so what I started to realize was that there was a lot of interesting data around all the different pathogenesis. And um, my theory was, you know, a lot of products that exist in the market right now are only targeting one pathogenesis. Like, why not, you know? target more than one? Why not target all of them if we can, at least the known ones? And sometimes it's possible with product development to do so. Other times it's not. If you look at our formulas and our products right now, even on the back of the packaging, you'll see that we list out the main ingredients that we use because for us, it is about a synergistic blend of plant extracts and safe synthetics that target these different pathogenesis. And so our product's philosophy and strategy has been all about targeted solutions. So we don't necessarily give you a full routine, a cleanser, a moisturizer, an X, Y, and Z. We give you treatments. They are power packed. They are effective and they are gentle on skin tones um, because we want to, one, simplify your routine. Um, Because again, when you have a chronic skin condition with most people, they'll have at minimum two. So that means if I have a, if I have a skin condition, I have two skin conditions and I have a 10 step routine for each skin condition, that's a 20 step routine every single morning, every single day. So for us, it's about simplifying that into one product. So um, Faded um, was literally the first product I ever made with this product philosophy in mind. And um, the product really, really worked. And so um, I, I was really excited about that. And the next one we went into was eczema. So Faded is the hyperpigmentation line. Um, or dark spot correcting line. And then like butter is the eczema line. And the idea behind the name like butter was this idea that we would make a product that would make your skin feel so smooth like butter because eczema is typically textured in its flakiness and dryness. Then early last year, we launched High Roller, uh, which is an ingrown tonic. And the reason why we called it High Roller is because it's a form factor. Most ingrown hair products are you have to use um, some sort of either pad or cotton ball to apply it. And we wanted to do something that was less wasteful. And so for us, the rollerball form factor is what inspired the name High Roller. Mm. And then in the summer of last year, around June, we launched Slather, which is an exfoliating body serum 
that is a really amazing product because it takes what people typically know about KP and it being an in the shower type of treatment, right? With a scrub. And we've now made it a, a body serum where you can leave it on. You don't have to wash it off. So you get quicker results because it's left on your skin longer. And so uh, late last year, the last product we launched was an under eye mask that um, lives in the same family as Faded. It is an under eye mask for dark circles and discoloration. I skipped over this, but in Faded and Like Butter, we extended those lines to also be have body products and we made them 360 degree sprays because sometimes your skin can be a bit raw to touch if you have a uh, skin condition on your body or it's in a hard to reach place. So we wanted to make sure that again, form factor was innovative, just as innovative as the product, the ingredient profile. And I think that's what's been so fun about what we do is we don't just innovate on one particular part of a product, we innovate across, whether it's the packaging, whether it's the branding, the storytelling, Mm. the ingredient profile, we really want to make the products a lot better for you in your routine. That's amazing. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, there's the product efficacy, but then there's also um, one thing you really do well is mental health advocacy as well. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the organizations that you work with? Because um, I know you mentioned the, the fact of the fact that you know two to six times are more likely to experience anxiety and depression that have uh, chronic skin conditions. But you also are doing work in this, which I think is really important to mention. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about the work we do in mental health. And I'm excited this year for us to get even deeper with our community. Hmm. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but people with chronic skin conditions are two to six times more likely to experience depression and anxiety. And I personally grew up as someone with skin conditions like boils that people didn't understand. And I remember vividly, um, I think either raising my hand at church or at um, an event. And I remember people being surprised at the way my armpits looked because I had a boil in my armpit, right? And I just remember that feeling of of feeling like an outsider and feeling so different than everybody else. And I remember that, you know, even with ingrown hairs, I didn't wear a swimsuit until probably much later into my college career because I was so embarrassed about what people would think about me, right? Like, did I have a hygiene issue? Was I um, someone who didn't take care of myself? And so I think that my own personal experience and then finding the data and coupling that data with my personal experience made me really want to build something around mental health. And I think when I was at UCLA, I bounced around to quite a bit of different majors and psychobiology was one of the ones I I landed on. And psychobiology is the study of of the connection between the mind and the body. And if you go a little bit deeper, there are different subsections. And one of the subsections is psychodermatology, which is this idea of the connection between skin health and mental health. So it asks the old age question of, does our skin affect our mood and our mental health or does our mental health affect our skin? And, And the answer is chicken and egg. They're like both affecting each other at the same time. Hmm. And so, um, we've, made it a mandate at topicals to really go deeper there, like to understand that. And I think what people have to understand is we are learning just as much as like we are sharing with people because it's such a new specialty. And so we've donated over $100,000 to mental health organizations to date. Wow. We've held countless um, meditation sessions with our ambassadors. We've held uh, public ones with our community around different um times when people need more support. So when we, um, all the different things that are happening in the news, we make sure that we're like trying to stay up to date because it's not just about selling products, right? Like people's lives extend outside of the bathroom and their routine. And so we try to embed ourselves into other parts of their, their daily life. And so really proud of the work we're doing, really proud of my team because it's, it's, it's heavy work. It's not like the easiest. And especially when you're someone who's in the forefront and you don't exactly know 
um, everything. Like checking in with experts is always what we do. And then, yeah. you know, being open to feedback from folks when they say, hey, I don't think you guys got this right. Like maybe you should try doing it this other way. It's very important. It's a journey and it's a constant communication, which can be, I'm sure, you know, very heavy because you have to be on this journey. Um, and, and there isn't necessarily like a, a finished point. Does that make sense? Like some, right. some, some topics of conversation, there is like a goal in mind. This is, this is everyone needs to get behind and it's, it's always going to be new and newer issues that we have to all come together to help work against. And I think that's something that I'm really glad, like beyond a product, uh, there can be a real mission that is going to change lives. And I think that's what you've done. And you're really putting the fact that you've already raised money for it and doing work, I think is, is just such a testament to the fact that any brand new uh, created, like any brand, like you, you know, a young brand like ourselves, nothing should stop you from still making an impact. You know, uh, I used to work in big corporates and used to be like, Oh, you're like, we have to raise X amount of money before we think about CSR, CSI and this and that. And it's yeah. like, why wait? Like, why wait? Why wait? We yeah. have a community. Yeah, that, even if our community is small, we still work with it, you know? And I think what, what's so interesting about business is that people want to support businesses that do good mm. for others. And so it actually should not be an after after fact no. or afterthought. It should be something that you're thinking about on day one, just as much as you're thinking about marketing or product development. Yeah. Like, exactly. I would say like social development should be a part of your core business strategy um, because it, it does. It makes sense. It makes like sense dollars wise. And it also makes sense with your community. Um, and so I think like that's how you build a true emotional bond with your customer and really build what I believe is a community versus, you know, people think communities, followers or customers. Community is not those things. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's your tribe. It's your family. And it's very important. And, it, it, and it, as you said, customers, team, everything, it, it's all one 360 approach. Um, one thing I do want to talk about is funding. When I saw, uh, I mean, you can tell us about what Forbes said uh, as the youngest black woman ever to raise 10 million in funding, which I think is, you know, there's two minds, I think. I'm also like, there's part of me that's like, you know, people of color, why is it so hard to, and I have a lot of friends uh, like ourselves that like are, going to VCs and we're always pigeonholed and it's like they don't put much funding in businesses and they kind of already think of it like I don't know if you had the same thing but like oh, yeah. automatically when creating a brand like I was told oh your brand's going to be amazing in this area because there's so many South Asians there and I said sorry when did I say this brand would be for South Asians only I never said that you know um yeah. so I you know it's hard but nonetheless still an amazing um testament to to have reached so i would love to know a bit about your funding journey today thank you yeah it i agree with you um i don't think that i should be the youngest i think people should be able to raise money at like 15 if they want to right um i think something i used to always say is that when you look at businesses a lot of the tech businesses right you see a lot of these young founders who are coming straight out of college and being able to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for their business um and they you know have different backgrounds, different experiences that you and I have, right? But I question why we think that people who look like us are more of a risk profile than someone who mm -hmm. doesn't look like us, who's much younger than us, right? Or has less experience. And so I think that I, I too question even the validity and the merit of like these qualifiers when we fundraise money. Yeah. Nonetheless, I, I, I appreciate Forbes for calling me the youngest black woman to raise yeah. 10 million um, and more in funding because yeah. it is true. Yeah. Uh, I just think there's a lot of work for us to, to do to make that not a reality. Like I want someone to raise 10 times as much money as I exactly. raise at 20, right? I agree. Um, the funding journey was tough. I, I would say that when I first 
um, went out to raise um, in 2018 through 2020, because it took me two years to actually fundraise, you know, like, and that is not a typical fundraising process. A typical fundraising process is six months. It took me mm. two times, three times as long as it takes most other people to fundraise. And again, I think everything happens in its time and season, but it was agonizing to constantly be told that this idea didn't need to exist or that, you know, yes, I was going to be pigeonholed to only serving Black women because I'm a Black woman founder. And while I've always centered those voices that have not been heard, Black women's, I, our products work really well for everybody. And I tell people all the time, when you make a product that works better for underserved communities, you actually make a product that works better for everybody yeah. because underserved communities like tend to be the most, again, underserved. Yeah. And so- um, it was tough. It was tough. I think a lot of investors were looking at other beauty brands in the space who were selling this idea of being cool, right? And I think cool is a really great thing to sell to people, but cool is subjective. And I think it was only looking like a specific kind of way. And so a person like me saying, hey, we want to put models with full-blown acne or eczema or dark spots on billboards in branding, you know, investors used to say like, why would anyone think that your product works if you're showing people with visible skin conditions? And it's so funny to me because that is probably the biggest selling point that we have with a lot of customers. Like our ads do really well because people are like, oh, wow, like this person looks like me. They have the skin condition I have versus seeing a person with clear skin and then saying, hey, I use this product, right? There's an mm -hmm. imagination gap that the customer has to um, jump to be able to then say, okay, I can become that person. And for me, I never wanted anyone to become anyone else. I wanted people to be okay with the journey that they were on. Yeah. And so showcasing people with skin conditions, still living life in full color has been one of our biggest breakthroughs to date. And so it's just interesting that that was probably the biggest hangup investors had back in the mm -hmm. days. Um, and so at the end of the day, I found the best investors. I have never, I've never had an issue with any of my investors, which is like very rare to say. I know a lot of friends yeah. who like, you know, the inv yeah, investors. Horror stories. Yeah. Yeah. Horror stories. Right. And so I think that, um, I'm really fortunate. And I think every, again, everything happens in the time and season it's supposed to happen, but really fortunate that we've raised, um, a little North of $15 million to date. And, um, it's great too, because we didn't need the capital when we raised it. Right. And I tell my team, we, you know, you, you raise with a, you plan, you have a plan to raise, right. You have to put a strategic plan together, but you have to like spend money. Like you'll never raise money again. Right. You execute, like you'll never raise money again because you never know when the fad of supporting founders of color or skincare or beauty will end. And you never want to be caught in that space where you need another round of funding to be able to be successful. I think, yes, growth happens and you need more capital to do so, but making sure you always have optionality. That's my investors from Lara Hippo have always preached that to me. It's like optionality, never make decisions that don't allow you to have optionality. And eventually you get to a space where you have to make a decision and you have to like maybe close out the optionality to, to make a final decision. But on your way there, create as much option as you can. So don't always raise at the highest valuations. Don't always take the money that's readily available or sometimes take the money so that you have a bit more cushion and room to be able to grow. And that was the case for us. We raised the series A. That's such smart advice, optionalities. I love that. I actually didn't think about, I couldn't think of a word that would like explain what you said. And that's such a great word. That's the thesaurus helping, right? That's yes. <laughs> the optionalities. <laughs> I love it. Um, and, and I do want to talk before we go to fire around and, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to your day because I know you have a business to run like we do, but um, I do want to talk a bit about distribution. So currently, where are you distributed? What was your journey like? And, you know, where can people find Topicals? Yes. So we actually kicked off our business at Nordstrom through Poppin, which I always recommend to folks as a really great way to test whether you like retail or not. Um, for us, I knew I loved retail after working with Nordstrom. 
um, and new being in different places, having a, a partner that really supports your distribution as a smaller brand was going to be really important. Um, and I learned a lot about our experience with Nordstrom through the limited partnership around, you know, specialty retailer versus department store. And so after our, our contract with Nordstrom ended because it was a, a pop-up, we um, went into Sephora in March. Of but also you forgot to mention, didn't you like sell out within hours of launch in Nordstrom at the beginning? Like, we did. We which sold is out amazing. Hours. Yeah, I mean, we sold huge. Hours. It was, it was amazing. And I think, again, it's testament to the community we built before we even launched the yeah. brand. I tell people all the time, you can't um, wait till launch day to then tell people, okay, like we're open for business. Yeah. If you have no money to actually launch the product, spend all your time, spend all your money and energy on building a community. Exactly. Cause by the time you get to launch, loyal. then you won't have to yeah. be, yeah, they'll, they'll show up for you. Um, we launched in Sephora 2021 March. We sold out in 48 hours there again. So it was, it's just this, this idea of building, um, it's not even hype because we, we know the products are efficacious. Yeah. Um, and obviously not all products work for everybody, yeah. but like we've done our due diligence on making sure that we serve as many people as possible. And um, that experience has been really amazing. We're still exclusive to Sephora. We will be exclusive to Sephora um, for years to come. I think that's that's surprising for some folks. I think a lot of people, given the brand is about two and a half years old now, they would think that we'd move distribution into other partners, but we've really enjoyed our relationship with Sephora. They've invested in us, we've invested in them. And so we'll continue to be so exclusive with Sephora for the time being. And um, I think we have been doing a couple of testing in different markets that we're really interested in. Last year, in February, around this time, we launched um, our direct-to-consumer site into the UK, we currently shop, ship there. Um, in December, we, for the first time ever, being an African woman, we retailed and um, did sampling at Afrochella, uh, which is now the, the Afro Future um, Festival that took place in Ghana. Um, you know, I, I went into Nigeria um, and, you know, met with a lot of different store owners to understand the landscape there. And I think for a lot of investors and, and people who look at my brand, right, they think, she should just focus on the U.S. like that. She should win there and then go into other markets. And while I appreciate people's feedback and I, I do take people's um, advice, you know, I also think about the type of brand I'm building and the fact that, you know, the majority of people of color live outside of the United States. And I think it's really important for us to build brands that are actually global if we want to become these multi-billion dollar brands that we say we want to be. And so really excited about just continuing to expand distribution globally. It's definitely something that's on the horizon for us. And I, I'm so glad you said that because, I mean, with Fable, when we launched, uh, like we were, you know, a Sephora exclusive, we still are exclusive with Sephora. And I remember that the most senior people there that are dear friends kept on saying, um, you know, don't go, you know, these brands, X brands took five years before they went out of US, like focus in US, grow your revenue, don't dilute your energy. And I was like, thank you. But, you know, that's not the brand I'm building. Like I'm building a global brand because uh, this is a product that I feel everyone in the world should should benefit can benefit from and why can't I give access to them locally and and not pay a forty dollar shipping fee from my one website you know so I I didn't listen and we went global we went into UK Middle East Europe India now and it's so funny how they're now saying oh my god like you need to go global quicker it's so good that you went global and I'm quicker like, right yeah and some of those people's roles are now global roles and I'm like you see so you're you're grateful now you can yeah you're, you're it's good I went into Sephora and other markets so I think it's about really the moral of that is just knowing whatever your brand vision is, just sticking to it, like taking criticism, taking feedback, taking suggestions. But I think if you know in your gut what you want to create, you got to do it. 
Right. And then also be okay with the failures that come along with that, right? Like exactly. we do things that they don't work out. And then I think that's the, the, the big thing that so many people, especially people who maybe aren't in the driver's seat of a business, mm. it's, um, they are afraid to make mistakes, right? And so they want to caution you to not make mistakes. But being an entrepreneur is about making mistakes and stumbling into where you're supposed to go. And if you can, like what I do, which is so weird, I'm a huge escape room fanatic, right? I have puzzle books on my desk. Like I love problem solving. Uh, I think you're very similar as well, like, you know, uh, generally speaking. And love a good puzzle. Uh, exactly. And I think when you have that mindset of you go into, for example, I go, like growing up, I had a puzzle book and I didn't, I didn't, get angry at the puzzle. I was excited to solve it, right? I focused my energy on how do I fix it? And then how do I learn from that? And next time I can do it quicker. You, you know, rip it up and throw in the dustbin once you can't figure it out. It's the same as like a failure. Like this is an opportunity to solve it, grow stronger, uh, learn from it, um, not dwell on, oh God, what happened? I can't believe it. And I think when you have that mindset as a founder, you honestly can become, a, you enjoy the process because as you know, you probably have every day you wake up and a new failure is dropped on your email inbox, literally like boom. And you're like, whoa, okay, I've got this suit or lawsuit or I've got this issue or I've got this production issue. I think it happens. Yeah. You can't control it. Um, so yeah, I think that's a little thing I like to think of. I, I get quite excited sometimes, which is really odd. It's a weird thing to say, right? But, Me too. Yeah. I always say I like doing hard things. And this is why yeah. I was earlier that I love zero to one. Most people are like, no, give me a business that is already fleshed out and then let me scale it. Yeah. I get a kick out of like all the uncertainty, yeah. all the like opportunity that could exist, all of the, you know, disparate things that haven't been connected. That's where yeah, I spend exactly. so much of my time these days is like yeah. trying to find more opportunities to do that. And and then, and then who knows what's in the horizon. And honestly, the way we're building our brands, I, I, I'm excited to see, like, I mean, I'm sure you know from the things that you've done, like you never thought you would have, when I saw your billboard on LA or like the big out of home, I was like, yes, come on, go. But yeah. you, you probably like, Oh, whoa, like I can't imagine that, but it happened so quickly, right? Like yeah. all these things are happening beyond our imagination. And it's because we are uncertain. We don't know what's coming and we're not limiting our beliefs to a smaller box because this is the only thing that's possible, right? And I think that's the bonus thing. It's a good thing, right? You can surprise yourself. I think it's really exciting. My friend and I call it level two thinking, right? Level one is the rat race, right? Is this idea of like, I have to gain a certain amount of followers or money or accolades. You know, it's, it's this idea of like existing within the matrix, right? And then yeah. for me, level two is this idea of like actually stepping outside of yourself and outside of the matrix and looking at the matrix, seeing the glitches in the matrix and using your cold bare hands. Cause that's what yeah. building is. Building a business is literally taking your cold bare hands, ripping the glitches in the matrix open and walking through it and seeing that, you know, sometimes you do have to play the game of level one to really be level two, but level two is about creating brand new worlds. Like you don't necessarily exist in the same world as other folks when you can think in a specific way. Like if you think about how hard it is to actually birth a business, like it's something that did not exist, right? Fable and Maine did not exist a couple of years ago. It is now in thousands of stores. It is, is, it is some people's holy grail. You know, it is generating revenue that did not exist a couple of years ago. And so when you think about that as your reality, you start to realize that you actually have so much power to create whatever future you want. You know, at one time, everything we know as like the status quo used to be a new idea. Every single thing that we knew that we know now. So I just use that as my guiding force when I'm thinking about building new things or taking on new challenges 
And it, it sounds all again, it sounds stoic and it sounds like I've have this all this whole thing thought out, right? No, 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 but, but I get it. Yeah. It's it's just like the experience and like the things that the curveballs that life has thrown at me and how I've come to make sense of it. Cause I just know my life is gonna be hard, right? I'm gonna have to I like hard things. I'm gonna continue to do hard things and I have to exactly. create um, a way of thinking that yeah, these mechanisms that make it um and also for your team as well right like how do you your counterparts because you might understand it inherently inside but your tribe around you that will also face these similar issues that we'll have to face how do you make it easy for them so even for you to say to your team guys level two thinking in a second actually can change your mindset swiftly rather than like, do you not feel it? Do you not, you have to find these mechanisms. I think it's very yeah. true what you said. Uh, I'm going to tell them about what you said of a level two thinking. Yeah, please do. Level two That's thinking is so like, it changed smart. my life. And it's like for over the last year, my friend and I have been trying to use words. I mean, a lot of our feelings, right? Or a lot of our experiences, what we struggle so much is naming the feeling or naming what it is. But like you said, once you can name it, it makes it a lot more tangible for people. And so, yeah, it took us forever to figure out. And then one day, I don't know, one of us said level two. And then it was like, that's it, level two. That is, I'm curious what level three will be later. That's it. And that's the thing is like, there are so many more levels. Level two is just exactly. understanding that the matrix exists. Like level 10 exactly. is probably like quantum physics. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, oh, it's so cool. It's so exciting. Well, okay, so I'm going to go to fire round questions, but I do have a desert island situation for you. So imagine I'm inviting you to a founded beauty retreat. So think sunny, think remote, but TSA is being an absolute um, pain in the ass. And they're saying, you can only bring one product with you. What is your one topicals product that you're bringing with you? High roller, since we're going on an island. Yeah. And I will probably be in a bikini or some sort of swimsuit. Yeah. I'm taking high roller with me. Amazing. I'll, I'm going to take the fade and miss. I am obsessed with it. And also, it's great. So, love it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love it. Um, and then now we're going to go to fire round. So, this is first thing that comes to your mind. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. So, the first question is, What's another beauty brand that could be in any industry, any vertical that you're currently loving right now? I have to say two. Um, so I love Bread Beauty Supply. I think the branding and storytelling there is so superb. The product quality is really great. Um, and then I love Ami Kole. Um, I think that she has taken African rituals and made them feel so modern in a way that I don't think a lot of other brands have been able to do so. And so I am always so excited about the products that she creates and how she's using, similar to you using like ancient Ayurvedic medicine and, and just ingredients mm. to build this story of like product e efficacy and just culture and, and tradition. She's doing so in makeup, which I think yeah. is just really fabulous because makeup itself, um, like a lot of people don't care about the ingredients that go in makeup as long as oh. the color payoff is there or the shine. And, and of the I don't know why. And, and the people then have to connect to skincare too much and say it's skinification. But like, why can't makeup just be also ingredient storytelling as is? Yeah. Right? It does. And yeah. she's done a fabulous job. Like today, I think they just launched um, some blushes. And if you look at the ingredients of the blushes, it's like better than some of the skincare products that you've probably used. Um, and I think that's just like an amazing way to think about product development and brand strategy. Defo and innovate. No, it's so true. Oh, I love that. Great, great two brands there. Um, my next question is, do you have a favorite quote or a saying that you keep close to your heart? Yes. This one is my work one, um, but you don't have to be everything to everyone, but you have to be everything to one. That is really powerful. Uh, I was thinking that that can also be extrapolated in so many different ways, so, like even personal work. And it's a very good mantra. So I love that. My last question is, if you weren't in the beauty industry, what would you be doing right now? I would have started a fintech company. 
which ah. never say never. Never. I was about to say, I was about to say later, once topical is, I'm not saying your path might be this, but let's say you won't have that huge exit, which you're going to have. Right. And then FinTech is coming. I yes, guess, yeah. definitely FinTech. But I also just get really excited about anything consumer. Um, I think I just yeah. like FinTech because I think about what we've done with topicals. If I had a product that was infinitely distributable, mm. it would just have been like huge and like super fun to build. So that's why FinTech particularly. And I think yeah, access to I wealth agree. and money is something that certain communities just have not had access to. So again, that's why FinTech, but I love food. I love um, clothing. Some I would never get into. Clothing is one that I love, but I love from a distance because the unit economics don't make sense to me. The sizing... It's not. It's I mean, my father is, is in fragrance, but he has a few, fa- we have a fashion brand with LVMH we, we, we partnered with. And, and every time I'm in these boardroom meetings, I'm like, huh? Like how many negative reds? And like, in beauty, I see a lot of right. greens sometimes. I mean, I still see reds, but I see more greens yeah. in beauty than, than fashion. And I'm like, seven years to break even all this. I'm like, I don't, I don't like When this. I look at I the like margins, it. I just can't even believe the margins of um, fashion scare me. <laughs> And and you have to scale to make it work. And that also has other implications and sustain, you know, there's a lot, it's, it's, it's a very hard. And, and I think for me, it's also, it's quite repetitive fashion, right? It's like, while you have different styles, it becomes just the same. Well, beauty, I feel has a lot more as a product is a lot more exciting because I think it has a lot more newness and innovation you can only put on a pair of pants one way you know <laughs> exactly exactly i mean maybe today you can people put it in different ways but generally speaking one way <laughs> so yeah two legs so in a pair, like. exactly i agree well it's been such an honor having you in the podcast where can everyone find all your socials and the brand and where can they follow you can find me at o-l-a-m-i-d-e-a-o-l-o-w-e which is my first name my middle initial and my last name across all socials you can find topicals at topicals across all socials and I have been working on a platform for at least a year now that I previewed um, last week on my Instagram but it'll be launching in the next week or so Um, it's called cost of doing business and it is a platform I say it's not advice it's shared notes it's things I wish I knew it's things it's the way I think about things um, in the in the brand perspective and this is for any kind of brand I'm not beauty. This is to be used in any space. And it's just a resource guide, uh, absolutely free. And it'll be live cross fingers in the next week. So by the time this goes out, this is definitely going to be live. So I'm going to put the link to that as well in the bio so people can tap away and straight. And I think that will help a lot of people. And I'll put all your social handles on the website too. But um, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I can't wait to see you uh, very shortly at Sephora Summit. And yes. uh, we're just going to start this incredible journey together as entrepreneurs doing things in the world. I'm just excited. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I had the best time.